Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Daniel Delank is a multilingual, results-oriented senior executive and entrepreneurial thinker with a proven track record of setting up and improving the performance of organizations in different roles and functions. He's over 15 years experience in advising Fortune 500 companies by implementing profitable growth strategies. Daniel started his career in consulting and joined two global leading IT companies, HP and T-Systems, before being offered his first executive position in the U.S., as a highly skilled, self-motivated, goal-oriented leader and manager, Daniel combines strong analytical skills with the talent to derive actionable measurements and feasible implementation roadmaps. Beyond this, he's a proven track record in implementing change and parallel delivering high-value results, constantly outperforming expected results as well as establishing and managing high-performing teams. Daniel also spends a lot of time on his uh, on the road traveling in his career and is based in Stuttgart, Germany. So Daniel, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Thank you, Cameron, for having me and I'm uh, pleased to join you in this podcast today. Yeah, it was interesting just, um, just chatting with you briefly before we hopped on and you said that one of the big benefits for you right now is um, of, of the time that we're in with this whole coronavirus is that you're getting to spend a little bit of time at home with your kids and not spending as much time on planes and trains and hotel rooms. How much time are you normally on the road? So, uh, I mean, on a percentage ratio, I would say it's uh, under normal uh, circumstances, about 60 to 80% I'm on the road. So uh, you can you can uh, be sure that four days out of five days I'm on the road. Uh, um, and in many years it has been internationally, now it's uh, more nationally uh, on, on, on the road, but uh, I'm very pleased to now be more with the family and enjoying let's say, the lunch and uh, the dinner times. Um, and uh, I mean, in those difficult times, you, uh, you have different roles, uh, actually, as, as uh, uh, being part or, let's say, affected in the corona crisis. So on the one hand, you are a teacher, you are a manager, you are a COO, you are a father, you are a kindergarten uh, employee. So it's, uh, it's kind of uh, challenging on the one side, but a privilege uh, to be at home and spend time, uh, quality time with the kids. And yeah, and it's, and it's something that we're all trying to trying to figure out as well right now as we're as we're going. Can you tell us a little bit about what T Systems does as well, just so we understand the the business itself, and then I want to dive into some of what you're working on in your role. Sure, Cameron. So uh, T Systems actually is an ICT provider. We have around forty thousand employees worldwide, around seven million in turnover. We operate in thirteen countries like uh, Brazil, uh, Mexico, the U.S., uh, Asian uh, uh, regions like Singapore and China. Uh, we serve around thousand clients uh, in different, let's say, uh, branches uh, like automotive industry, uh, public sector, and tele- telecommunications. And actually, our business model is around four big pillars: so connectivity, like you can see from T-Mobile US. Uh, like digital transformation. So we serve our clients in, in their digital transformation journey. Uh, cloud and infrastructure. So we have around 30, 33 um, data centers actually worldwide. And uh, our security services, uh, which are around, we have around 2,000 uh, security agents that, that help us and serve our clients to protect their, let's say, infrastructure and their, their IT. 
Uh, and in one of those pillars, um, the business unit SAP um, is, let's say, located uh, with around 2,500 people uh, that work for 600 clients and we have around 500 million in turnover, which my current role is to serve this business unit as COO. So you've got a, a huge global organization and um, and a lot of people, about 1,000 employees. How does a company like yours adapt to what we got thrown at us? I mean, this is not out of any business school program. There's no case studies on this. We've never had, you know, we've had recessions. We've had global economic crisis. We've had wars. Um, we've never had a global shutdown. We've never had supply chain seizing up and we've never had everyone being told you have to stay at home. So, uh, I mean, you can imagine that this is a massive impact for our company. So yeah. um, we are very lucky that we have a very strong security organization, like I've mentioned. So um, we initiated very fast, uh, mid-January, already mid, uh, between mid-January and February, uh, a daily call, a daily operations call, where we bring all the people from the different departments together to understand the current situation in the business units to understand which people are affected. We already also very started early to bring the people, let's say, back to their home offices so to don't um, uh, have them affected in the office buildings or by traveling. So our travel restrictions has been early on in the corona crisis being uh, quite rigor uh, to, to stop the traveling and to stop the expansion of the virus. Um, and by that, we can say that uh, our measures have been um, very successful. So in, in comparison with uh, other companies in Germany, we have a very low rate of affected people. Um, also globally, um, you can imagine that in particular, there are different and multiple um, restrictions. It depends on the government, it depends on the country, mm -hmm. it depends even on certain sub-regions. I mean, only imagine in the US, you have <laughs> the right. different states have their own rules and regulations. So as we operate in those countries, we have um, specific tiger teams in the different countries which are collecting all this information. So we're consolidating that together so that we have at every time of the day a status uh, overall status of the current conditions of our operations. Um, and I think that early action, the early setting up the scene by implementing um, a, a continuous uh, daily update and uh, uh, tracking of the different measures that have been implemented has been, I think, the, the key success factors to get that under control. But the same as getting now the, the measures and the control is now thinking and we already started thinking of uh, uh, different procedures and different measures, how we now reopen. So what is the new, mm -hmm. the new let's say, status quo, let's say this way, like uh, different governments have tried to, to place it. Um, and we are now investigating to which extent we, we can slowly allow travel, to which extent we can still operate, let's say, uh, into different environments, how we can engage with customers because we are also dependent on customer interaction and, and, and sales. So um, and also to be, let's say, ahead of the wave, uh, I think is, is something which, um, which um, uh, yeah, describes our, our, yeah, our different measures. That's why we, we, we also think now into the scenarios. 
It's interesting. You, you, you bring up so many really interesting things to talk about. One, one that I got was just the daily calls that you're doing, the daily briefing calls and, and getting the updates from the different parts of the field and kind of consolidating that information to making decisions. Do you think that's a practice that will continue as we come out of, as we come out of this over the next number of months or, or into the year? Do you think you, you as a company will continue those kinds of status updates and, and that regular pulse? Is that, are you, are you seeing some benefits from that that would help the company overall, even if we weren't in a time of crisis? No, absolutely. Of course, I mean, in the in the peak of the Corona crisis, uh, the the call, which is a thirty minutes call, uh, where every department can uh, randomly ask questions about the different decisions that also our board has taken. <clears throat> Um, so I think it was a good practice, and it will continue. Of course, uh, these days, where it gets more into a let's say continuous um, improvement process, uh, the calls last maybe 15 or 20 minutes, not the full 30 minutes. But at the end, it's still important to, to sit back, uh, share what is currently happening, share also about next steps. And this is the platform exchange with other, let's say, responsible persons in the different departments uh, and, and, and uh, not to be the only one, let's say, that have the huge pressure on the shoulder to think about next steps. Yeah. And to share best practices, to share about different views, I think is really a benefit. I wonder if we're getting better as companies in communication and in collaborating and you know working together and updating each other and and working less in our silos and less in our vacuums. If I wonder if we're if we're going to grow from this in a really positive way. It's a good point, actually, Cameron. So um, I was surprised, really, how fast. I mean, like you said, we are a huge corporation. We are largely spreaded, and uh, this, uh, this, let's say, uh, institutionalized uh, setting to fight against Corona um, has been a very great experience. Really, mm. uh, people that are engaged, people that try to get. Uh, let's say, get the company through that crisis. Um, and in, in fact, also to think about, well, we cannot change this environment, but it's just happening. Nobody has planned for it. Yep. Uh, so we are all in this together and uh, what we can uh, learn from it. So um, the, the different uh, uh, countries, the different people in the countries are behaving differently. They are uh, executing different measures. And I think um, I, I believe in the diversified teams and, and this diversified team, people from different departments, people from different countries bring in new ideas. And out of that, there came, for example, uh, things like uh, how do we treat, at least in this year, fairs, how we treat uh, customer interactions, right? So we, we still have sales running. We still have a fairs plan that we now need to cancel. We just hold uh, uh, yesterday uh, one of the largest events about digitization online uh, with uh, many thousand uh, participants. So uh, it, it really also was kind of a kickstart to think about new, new ways of collaboration. So mm -hmm. like I said, it's very uh, great to be at home, but uh, we, we are running still trainings with our people. So we're running still uh, leadership meetings and uh, you are now forced to use new tools, but at the same, by being forced, uh, it, it shows you, yes, it's actually more productive. It's possible and productive, yeah. That's, that's what I'm curious about as well, is are you seeing some opportunities with the work from home 
being more possible than you might have thought as an organization? And then also on the travel restrictions, do you think that you will change the way that you operate as a company with maybe not having people on the road as much and maybe collaborating with customers or suppliers over video versus always in person? Or are you seeing any change potential there? Yeah, I think we are just on, on that one thinking very intensively now, right? So I think uh, companies will much more uh, um, um, rigorously think of what is the, I, I don't want to use the term business case, but what is the, what is the financial benefit of now uh, traveling, I don't know, 10,000 miles to one location and what is the really return? I mean, not only from an economic perspective, but also from an geological footprint perspective. So does it really make sense to travel so many kilometers to bring a single person to that place for maybe, I mean, I remember in my, my high, in my peak times, I was traveling for, for an eight hour meeting to Chicago from Germany. So I was flying with the same airplane. I was not flying with the same crew. I was flying with the same airplane. Uh, the crew could rest one day and I needed to fly back. Um, and I think that that doesn't make any sense at all. So no. um, uh, it was many years ago, but still um, at this time, uh, I was running an uh, interesting team meeting with my with my team and we used uh, whiteboard functions of, of many yeah. uh, uh, video conferencing tools. And it was much more productive because everybody could make a screenshot, right? Normally, mm. you would end up with somebody that, that just pins uh, everything down on, on a paper or uh, try to, to scribble an email. And uh, it was much more um, dynamic as everybody could draw on the whiteboard. So... Uh, I think it will it will last for sure some time to to get everybody on board because there are people that are more let's say uh, in favor of such tools and people that are not. But I think, um, like always, uh, the early movers will will somehow Im impact and see and show the the, the benefits of using it. Not for yeah. everything. I'm still a a people guy, so I think it will still be required and important in certain areas and in, in certain occasions to meet physically but i think you will be much more i think everybody every single person which will be much more sensible does it really make sense to travel that long yeah i agree like the, does it make sense i think people are definitely getting more of a connection over video than we realized was possible because we have to and you're right we'll start thinking about the roi the return on our time the return on our people the return on our money of of traveling for for the meetings we'll make decisions differently um, I, there's an old saying that I remember as a kid in Canada and it was necessity is the mother of invention. And it, it meant that, you know, when, when a problem occurred, you had to figure something out. And now that we have this, we're figuring out these new tools. What, what was the whiteboarding software that you used? Do you remember what the tool was or? Uh, actually it, it's, uh, Webex. So it's, uh, oh, just, just in Webex. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about about the the work from home side as as an organization? Was T Systems a company that would hire people remotely and would hire people and let them work from home? And if if you were or were not, do you think that will happen more than it used to? So I mean, as we are in the IT industry, we we have a more let's say uh, our habits are, are much more into that working from home, working remotely, uh, working on, on large distance. Uh, so we have. Uh, people all over the place that that work for one client that need to work remotely they need to work um, let's say virtually uh, but of course uh, with that crisis we have figured out that uh, much better than than we actually thought uh, it, it 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 works 
it just works. So uh, to give you a kind of a, of a number, um, in, in PUSAP, so in our business unit, we have in Germany 98% of the people at home, which means that, uh, that uh, there's nobody actually on site. Uh, there are very less people physically on site on, on, on the customer side as it's required due to mm. technical restrictions and, and legal restrictions. But still, uh, the operations is running. So um, uh, we are thinking, uh, does it really make sense to hold so much uh, office space yeah. in future time? Does it still make to, to um, is it better investment to maybe uh, to, to invest in, in technical equipment for the people instead of using and hold so much on office buildings? So I think we just started the discussions. I don't want to to say something that is not already decided, but um, I think many companies will start investigating to that. Uh, does it make sense uh, to to invest rather in office buildings or in technical equipment and, and maybe tools that enable people right. to collaborate even better? Yeah. I mean, I also predict that there will be many, many companies raising tools uh, in the near future, and they are already there, uh, that enables, let's say, virtual interactions. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about investing in the people, investing in their leadership development and investing in the technology tools for them versus putting money into real estate. I, th I think there's, I have a, a client in Colombia who has 800 employees and he said that a month ago, zero employees were, were ever allowed to work from home. And within two weeks, all 800 people must work from home. <laughs> he said it was just That's amazing. a complete quantum shift in the organization where now it's like, and if we, if this lasts for two or three more months, which it probably will in some areas or longer, potentially in some areas, companies are going to absolutely rethink the way that they do business. I mean, it's like a boom. So many of our clients have been forced, right, to, to, to shift immediately from, from physical presence to, to virtual. And uh, I mean, we are very pleased, let's say, that we are actually as, as a provider serving those clients and with our technology. Uh, so, for example, in Germany, we have helped the government to install actually applications and apps and, and, and tools uh, to serve um, affected uh, companies uh, to get, let's say, um, support payments from the government. So, um, but but rather than that, I think it's very important uh, to um, to. I mean, now the companies use Corona or Corona as more a catalysator, a catalyst of of getting, let's say, through the digital transformation. But rather than just uh, uh, let's say uh, let it go, I think it's very important to make every step with a, a different um, perspective. So, what do you really want to achieve? Do you want to achieve that the people? and the employees actually collaborating or, or do you think that uh, physical presence is, is, uh, is rather important? And both answers are correct, right? I mean, right. we will be much more distinguished uh, is, is now a, a, a person uh, in particular important to, to be present uh, in a physical place or is it just not? Um, and um, I think that it gives a huge opportunity for, for everybody. I'm curious how you as an organization talked to your employees probably two weeks ago about it's time to shift from worry and fear and damage control and crisis management and how it's time to shift to going forward where it's time to drive sales it's time to emerge how did you how did you manage that discussion or communication with people so we 
early on uh, informed the people very intensively via via conferences, via uh, video messages from the board, via via direct communication, via email. I think uh, clear communication and setting uh, the scene and expectation is very important to give orientation for the staff. Also to give clear rules and regulations. Sometimes the government has been very, let's say, not that precise. And once you, you translate it into the business area, it gets a little bit, let's say, fuzzy. So you need to be make it very crisp uh, to to have a, a clear standard for 40,000 people, right? Otherwise, <laughs> they are, but for me, it's like a little bit this uh, for me, but it's a little bit like that, like how I like it, and it's not. So uh, we have been very, very strict and very direct when we said uh, the people uh, don't go to the office buildings any longer. We want you to work from home. Uh, also for us as a company, it was a huge, uh, a huge uh, uh, stress. So we had, of course, always worked from remote, uh, but uh, we needed to prepare the lines and the infrastructure to to enable us actually to to work from home. Right? Yep. You need video conference licenses. You need uh, bandwidth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, and doing it step by step, always thinking the step ahead, like like in chess, uh, I think helped us to get through that. Um, and now getting uh, let's say um, the positive side of, of this uh, transformation mini transformation um, we also always tried to put it on the positive side so what is this bringing to us on the table so you can work from from home so now you have uh, different opportunities to interact with the clients so we we said well why we don't um, do uh, fairs now virtually so let's uh, let's not think of yeah this is a shame that we net now cannot go to a famous fair in, in hanover and think of why we don't do it virtually so let's try to find a way how we can do it virtually. at the same time we thought uh, we have uh, a quite variation of services and, and products uh, and, and, and yeah services that we provide to our clients so we thought how about uh, tailor different offerings that, that help now our clients, right? So um, what are now the big pain points that clients face with Corona and how we with our offerings can, can the best way serve that clients. So I think it's, uh, it's really to, um, yeah, to, to work with the employees together to, to see on the one side the things that well impact us, but also to see the, the positive side on the flip side. That's great. I love the communication and, and getting people to focus on some of the positive of it as well. Um, it's funny when you said that, the, you know, sometimes the government communication isn't very clear and it's a little bit fuzzy. And I was laughing, thinking that in America or in Canada, we're used to the government or Italy, we're used to the government being kind of fuzzy. But in Germany and Switzerland, you're very, you're very precise. And it's, it was interesting to hear how you just you get the communication, you get it very clear, very crisp, very precise. It's so important for the employees to understand this right now. Nice. I, I'm absolutely right. So I think the 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 of course the the governments in 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 Europe, at least in Germany, we are very uh, lucky to be honest uh, that that uh, there has been at least the measures that has pay, taken in place have shown its effect. Uh, but at the same time, to translate it with with um, with their own words to the employees and to to see, let's say. What does this now really mean for each individual, right? So to also reflect uh, that from a management pers perspective, okay, what 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 is now the effect on every employee, right? So mm. uh, to think of uh, well, now the employee needs to uh, uh, like in, in my personal situation needs to um, uh, to support the the kids and and uh, to work with with the family to get it somehow done. On the one hand, work. 
uh, be the manager, uh, be the professional. Um, so also uh, our our mother company DTAG, Telekom Germany, has uh, brought in some um, some products for for family, for example, Disney Plus uh, for a half year. Uh, or something like that to to support um, the the different let's say affected individuals, um, and I think that um, you can we can only come uh, through that crisis together, and everybody needs to take his fair share, let's say, to to get it through. Interesting, you're thinking that way. Are you notice Are you noticing that there's some new leaders emerging in the company that in this kind of a wartime or crisis situation that a new group of leaders are emerging that are are just saying yes, let's do this, and driving it forward, and are maybe more entrepreneurial than than you used to maybe have. Are you seeing a shift in leadership at all? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, so um, uh, I would say uh, yes, uh, as I think there are other uh, ca- characteristics required in such a crisis, right? Uh, so um, from that angle, I I think we are well equipped with leaders that. Uh, that uh, stand their ground and uh, show up uh, with pride uh, to also uh, bring the workforce into the situation uh, to really think about this positive. I mean, many companies have seen uh, the corona crisis uh, and, and still see it as as something that, of course, is hitting us and it will hit us as a as a branch, IT branch, uh, and as a company, of course, as well. Sure. But I think um, you always need to see the chances. So to to have tailored offerings to discuss uh, in a broader scale with the people, okay, what we can do now about it, right? how, how we can still serve our clients, what is the best way to, um, to, um, uh, to help them coming through that crisis, shows me that, uh, that uh, there are really uh, thoughtful leaders that, uh, that drive that uh, topic into the right direction. So last question on the on the whole coronavirus COVID-19 area, and then I just want to go back into more general business and operations. But I'm curious from where you are now and what we've been through in the first two months, do you think that you'll still travel 60 to 80% of the time? Or do you think you'll try to shift your role and your focus into doing it in a slightly different way to maybe take that down to 20 to 40% of the time? So... Um... Um, after reflecting what has happened the last weeks, or does that depend on how good your kids are? <laughs> well, not not really. So I, I'm 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 very happy actually. I'm very pleased. So I was just reflecting um, on on before and after Corona, and uh, I mean before Corona, I would most likely uh, uh, be at six or so on the train station. Um, uh, drive two or three hours to Bonn, uh, be in Bonn for eight hours uh, on meetings, uh, be alone at the hotel room, uh, be another eight hours uh, on meetings, uh, and then uh, most likely travel back with the train uh, three hours uh, to Stuttgart. So, and that uh, on a regular basis. Uh, then maybe a, a flight uh, on on uh, to Stuttgart to Hamburg, which uh, requires to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to be uh, at time on the airport. I mean, that doesn't just make fun, right? So why? Um, so I think for certain physical meetings, um, um, I definitely uh, believe that uh, physical presence uh, is, is, uh, is important. For example, in, in, in end negotiations with clients, uh, if it comes to pricing, such type of stuff. 
but I definitely will much more rigorously question myself, is it really needed to travel or not? Mm-hmm. Not that I've not done it before, but you have been much more, let's say, easier with that decision to say, yes, it's, it's good, let's go and, and let's get it done. Yeah, I just think it provides for such a better lifestyle for everyone and, and maybe even more clarity in our decision making when we're less tired and we're more grounded and we're we're not scrambling. And um, it'll be really interesting to see how that how that changes for you or if it if it can. So and just last comment to, to, to yeah. that one. I mean, you also use the time or I use the time not traveling and, and productive time. So I, I wake up uh, still early in the morning, but the two hours that I'm on the train or should have been on the train, I now use for, for work actually so it's uh it's okay. positive. yeah or or you can actually get some exercise and connect with family and have some meaning in your life also which true. then which then gives us the excitement to work because we have a reason to be to be living right instead of just working all the time it seems like so talk about about your role for a bit you've been with t systems for 10 years so you did you where did you kind of start in the organization and grow up in the organization to the role that you're in today Sure. So I started uh, 10, 11 years ago uh, joining the systems uh, as part of the line office of one of our directors. I worked there for about two years uh, in different, let's say, um, with different responsibilities. Uh, after that, I decided to go into a much more operative role um, and a much more role that has international, let's say, uh, spread because I wanted to work also in the international environment. So I started to work work uh, as an engagement manager for the regional Americas before I was uh, promoted to become the uh, VP uh, global business operations for the regional Americas and APEC. And in that function, I worked uh, uh, for an operation that uh, holds around three and a half thousand people. Um, um, It comes from Canada to the US, uh, Mexico, Brazil, Singapore, and China, which was uh, from a uh, work time, uh, life balance, quite challenging, but very interesting to work with such different uh, countries, people from that countries. Uh, and um, it was uh, no, not privileged uh, to work uh, in that area. After that, uh, I was uh, asked to hold a, um, a restructuring project for our sales operations. So um, I was working for two years with our uh, CSO um and uh, was running a project which was called itd for growth so um, it was a program running or touching the whole sales organization reframing it uh, and uh, yeah installing different set of measures like building up pipeline building up uh, let's say different measures that touches the quality of the sales force uh, to uh, improve the tool landscape of the sales force um, and uh, modernizing the processes and approach at the go-to-market. Um, and uh, this was a quite challenging uh, time period in my career, but uh, was very intense in terms of learning curve. Mm. After that, I decided to go back into my COO function because I am a passionate COO and uh, I was happy that um, there was the requirement for our business unit SAP uh, to, yeah, to to build up the COO function, which was also quite challenging to be precise because uh, the business unit SAP was um, in 2019 formed out of two different departments that hold SAP services. Uh, One was more person or people intense, the other was more uh, platform intense. 
and I had the, the challenge to build up a team of around 70 people, uh, which was not there. So um, I think it was a once in a lifetime shot to uh, have the privilege and the honor to set up a team of around 70 people, uh, select them, uh, prepare them, um, and build up the the strategy and the structure to be able to run a COO role and function actually. Mm, so lots of different cross-functional areas that kind of all kind of stacked up into the COO role. You Correct. seem, I mean, I've got the, the benefit of, of being able to see you right now. Our listeners can't, but you don't have any gray hair. I'm guessing you're like late thirties. Are you 37, 38 years old? 35 actually. To be Jeepers. So 30, so you're really young to be doing the role that you're in right now. Correct. Why do you think that is? What what has what have you been able to pull together, or why do you think you've done so well in your career at such a young age already? So uh, I I have been always uh, actually asked to to join a team or to be uh, let's say um, um, uh, to solve a problem. So in in particular, I I uh, I would summarize uh, the the success until now of my career that uh, that I was kind of famous for getting problems even problems that may sound impossible to get it somehow solved uh, I'm very passionate and dedicated uh, which I think uh, shows the result uh, that has been achieved um, and um, I'm a very structured guy so for me structure comes first so uh, get the strategy and the structure right uh, get the operational design ready to execute the strategy and to get the right people at the right place. Um, that's kind of my philosophy. And uh, it has shown that this actually is the right one to get the things done. Yeah, it makes sense. I like I like the methodology that you put behind it all. So what about yourself and your skill set? I mean, you've clearly had to grow in your role as a COO and grow in your role in the organization. Where Where have you focused your growth? So for me, it was always important to um, to deal with the people around you. So um, I have been always put into challenging situations. So the first managerial role I hold uh, was um, a kind of a situation where the revenue, the top line was declining dramatically. The cost uh, and the profitability was uh, not sufficient. Uh, and uh, I, I had not the uh, structure in place to to support, let's say, this uh, uh, challenges ahead. So the first thing that that I did actually is, is understanding where the really where the problem really sits. So one of my philosoph- philosophies is um, fix the right problem. So uh, one of the problems I investigated, of course, is that um, that there has been so many different activities running in parallel that nobody in the sales organization actually could focus on getting the sales done. So the first things we did at that time was uh, cleaning up the pipeline, really focusing on that uh, suspects that are really promising and that we have actually the possibility to 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 win. Uh, on the other hand, uh, investigate and think of what are the the the, the costs that we can allow ourselves uh, to to really run the operation. Right. So you can always make the math. So you you make a hundred million in revenue, you have 80 million in cost uh, to get 20 million in, in profit. If you have, if you have hundred million in cost, something is wrong. So you need to work yourself back to the 80 million in cost structure. So what is the allowable cost for every department, for every team, for every single individual that, that allows you to run your, your business to generate the, the margins and the profit Mm. Um, and what is then the respective revenue and top line? 
to to support. And with that systematic approach, uh, with that clear um, strategy in place, uh, it helped us to first form the team that was empowered and uh, was fighting with us against the same target. I mean, it was not only me, this achievement. It was, um, of course, the, the SVP that I was reporting to with the management directors in the different countries that helped us to turn the ship around. And I always also say that it's not a, a short-term journey. It's a, it's a two-year journey that, that, drives, that need, you need to drive constantly with the team uh, to, to move the ship around. And, and I was uh, also privileged in my early career to work with really um, um, leaders um, that, that was uh, role models to me, which helped me to form also my leadership function. And it's a, me as a leader and me as my philosophy as a leader. You've been you've been fortunate. I mean, Europeans already are, but you've been fortunate. It sounds like to work globally in your career as well with different leaders in different countries and different different um, continents. Have you noticed any differences with leadership in different areas of the world that you've been able to kind of pull um, pull from or grow with? Oh yes. Yeah. So um, I think in Asia, actually, um, uh, leadership is. Um, um, quite differently, um, like in the US or, or, or Mexico. Um, but I mean, I, I think, of course, there's always a flavor of, of the different cultures. Uh, I mean, to give you a precise example, in, in mm -hmm. Argentina, I was working for a smaller company and it's very top-down uh, managed. So in, 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 in regular speaking, regularly yeah. speaking. So um, it was always important to find a way to bring your ideas in the message of the CEO, right? So uh, it makes it a little bit more slowly in the execution, but, uh, but uh, that's how it is, right? So you just need to, 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 um, to work around it. But um, I think with working with so much different cultures and also uh, have the privilege to live in some of them and, and work very intensively with those people, also forms you as a person. So you always reflected how would uh, this colleague has reflected the situation or what would, uh, uh, what would uh, my peer in, in Mexico think about this situation? I think that, that, that always um, drives a better decision actually at the end because you, you circulate, let's say, different ideas until you say, yeah, that, that's now the, the, right, the right thing. And sometimes... Um, 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 it helps to, to, yeah, to make just better decisions. Interesting. Now, what about your team and the people that report to you? How are you focusing on growing them or is it more situationally? No, for me, it's very important to actually build up um, uh, clear expectations, what I expect from them. And at the same time, also share with, uh, with them one of my learnings. So um, if I reflect uh, my, my leadership, um, let's say my leadership uh, uh, um, role beforehand and now um, it has transformed quite a bit. So uh, we also discuss very intensively within the company how this agile working methods uh, needs to be reflected in our leadership style. So for me, it's very clear or very important to give clear messages to, to my team, but also give them the freedom and the empowerment because um, I run currently a team that uh, that from sales over service delivery management over quality over 
resource management, over communication, over projects, over um, over automation tools and processes, over quality holds all the different, let's say, flavors of a COO function. So I can't be the subject matter experts of all of those. So I need uh, a very trustful team. And I'm very happy and lucky that, that I have uh, the, the best team um, uh, in place, uh, which I can uh, rely on 100%. And that helps me actually to, to be in the situation uh, that, that we are currently in. So um, I think it's very important to give clear messages to the team, uh, to show them the expectation, but at the same time, give them the freedom uh, to, um, yeah, to execute what they think is the best for the company. So if you were to, to think about a clear message that you were going to give to the 20-year-old or 22-year-old Daniel who was maybe starting in his career, what word of advice would you go back and give yourself that you, maybe now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known at a much younger age? So um, I think the, the one advice that I would give, do the things that uh, makes you happy. And uh, if you do the things that makes you happy, you will be good at the things that, that you're doing. And once you do the things that you are good at, you will be successful. And uh, whatever it will be, you will, if you follow that three, three terms or three rules, uh, it will make you a happy person at the end. That's awesome. And then hopefully get some skiing days in with your kids as well. That for sure. <laughs> Dan Daniel Delanc, the COO for T-Systems. Thank you so much for, um, for calling in from Europe today and speaking with us today. I really, really appreciate the time. Cameron, thank you so much for being being on, on the podcast. Appreciate it. Don't question. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.